but I I'll open this in prayer this morning. But before I do, I want to um, read a few texts to set the stage for this morning. So it looks like Jeff is trying to connect. Good morning, Jeff. Hey, good morning, guys. How are you? Good. You uh, you just listening in, or you might participate a little bit, or yeah, no, I'm I'm gonna listen. And uh, sorry, I'm a little tardy. We're uh, getting getting up and getting ready, the kids and everything. Well, we're just getting started. The record button has been hit, um, and I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna open this in prayer. But before I do, I want to read two texts to um, shape our prayer um, this morning. All right, here comes Paul too. Um, so the first first text I want to look at is in John um, 8, 30 to 34. Uh, let me get there myself. Um, all right, let's see, John 8, 30 to 34. Um, if there was a text that I was going to teach, uh, I, I wrestled with, um, there's so the book of John, and that's what we'll open up in prayer this morning, the book of John has so many, you know, aspects of wisdom and nuggets and so much we can learn. So if you've been through John before, this journey will most likely be different than, than, than what you've been through before. But John has the book of John has so much to offer that um, that really we're just going to give this study up to the Lord and let him guide us through it the way he cares about doing it, you know, here in, in August of 2022. Um, but but the two texts, I want us to kind of frame up our study and our prayer this morning as we give this study to the Lord is is here in John 8 30. And I'll just read a, about four verses. I guess it might be five verses, but it says, as he was saying these things, many believed in him. And in verse 31, he says, so Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, if you abide in my word. You are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And so this is a word to us this morning that that if that that as we believed in him, if we'll abide in his word, you're we are truly his disciples, and we will know the truth, and that truth will set us free. And and, and, and so my heart this morning, you know, is that we begin as we read through John that more and more and more, we see some truths that, that we need to abide in and, and that we need to know and we need to have some, some freedom or we need to be set free from some bondages that we have that are keeping us from living the way Christ would have us live. But in verse 33, some of the naysayers there listening responded this way they said they answered him we are the offspring of abram abraham and never been enslaved to anyone how is it that you say that you will become free now i want you to do a little context thought here in the time of jesus these people that he's talking to are essentially under the thumb the thumb of the roman government they are not in the david day where um, where they're they're dominating everybody. They're not the Alabama 15 gazillion national championship Israelite. They are, you know, in the coffin, the nail before Nick Saban in the coffin, nail about to go in. They're in a state where everything they do is policed by the Roman government. And if that's not some type of bondage, I don't know what is. There's some they were in some type of physical bondage, but they were denying that they were in any kind of bondage. They were still acting like they were still sort of uh, relying on all the national championships, you know, so to speak, in the Alabama world that we know in Southeastern Conference football. They were still relying on their past. You know, we have a past longer than anybody else. We've accomplished more than anybody else. But you ain't accomplishing that now. Your generation ain't accomplished that. You know, and so they said, we've never been a slave to anyone. How can you, you say that you will become free? And Jesus answered, he said, Jesus, it true, truly, truly. And one of the things I'm going to add, we're going to look at the seven signs that are in the book of John. We're going to look at the seven I am statements that are in the, in the book of John. 
but I'm working and I haven't completed all this. But what I want us to do is look through all the truly, truly statements because there's a lot of them. I'm not sure how many there is, but I'm putting that together and we're going to organize and we're going to walk away from the study of John. We're just like we can remember the seven signs and the seven I am says we're going to remember the truly, truly statements. And we're going to know in context what those truly, truly statements, what they were pointedly trying to accomplish and what it should say as we lay ourselves before the Lord, how those truly, truly statements should affect us today. But in this one here, in, in 834, he says, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. And so we'll stop with that. He's going to go on and talk about being a slave to the devil in the text. But but we'll just stop with that, is that we have to realize there is bondage that that abiding in God's word sets us free from. And we should wholeheartedly want that. And that's what this audience didn't want. But I want you to go back. We're going to go to next to John 3 real quick. Um and, and we're going to look at, at verse 9 through 12, and I want you to see this. So setting the scene, Nicodemus comes at night. We'll, we'll, we'll study through the book of John, and you can do a search of Nicodemus and watch his journey. He's in the book of John about three times, and we get to see him evolve. But I want you to see it this way. In verse 9, what, what do we see in the text from 9 to 12? It's, he's, he's told him you must be born again, and he said some great things in the previous eight verses. And, 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 and Nicodemus is sort of getting more and more befuddled in the, in the words that Jesus is saying. And, and, and this is his shortest response right here. It says, Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? Like he was kind of talking a little bit. He was asking some questions, but, but Jesus is floored him and setting back so much that he says, how can these things be? And I want you to hear what Jesus says. He says, are you a teacher of Israel? I mean, what he's basically saying is here in all these people that we're here with, you know, more than all of them about the things of God. Are you a teacher of Israel? And yet you do not understand these things. And then he says this, he says, here's another truly, truly statement. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and we bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. What we're going to look through the book of John is we're going to see so many people that are struggling with receiving the testimony. And I think the we here is Jesus and God. But as as God has sent the Son to be a messenger in the flesh and to say it in the most plain language right before them, they're struggling to understand. And he says, truly, truly, I say to you, we speak to what we, we know and bear witness to what we've seen, but you do not receive our testimony. What my prayer is in this study is that we more and more receive the testimony of Jesus Christ through the book of John. As we ponder and dive a little deeper into these statements that we say, hey, that's what that means. Hey, that's for me. Hey, I need to start applying that, that we become more people that build on the rock than on the sand as we just as we just dive into this word. And the last verse 12, it says, this is the one. That, that really kind of gets me thinking. It says, if I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? I think this right here is a key to getting the most out of the book of John. Because what we have to do is we have to look when he's talking to these audiences and they're struggling and some of them are getting it. I think the key, the master key, the, the, the Wi-Fi encryption key is that you have to discern when, when, when Jesus is talking about earthly things, it's setting you up to, 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 to talk about spiritual things. That, that, that when he says, unless you eat of my flesh and drink of my blood, he's talking about spiritual things at that point in time. You know, he, he's, he's using physical things, but he's, he's bringing you from physical things to spiritual things. Think about when he feeds all the 5,000 
and they're worshiping him. And they're like, you are awesome. You are amazing. I understand. I like these kind of provisions. This looks just like what God did with Moses in the wilderness and all that manna. This is cool. We're excited about this. And they're wanting to make him king. And Jesus just, he just sneaks off. But then right after that, in John 6, he begins to preach probably one of the most hard messages that, you, that, that, that this audience could hear. He, he be, it's not seeker friendly. He starts running some people off, says just about all of them went off. But one of the key things he says, he says, Moses didn't give them no bread. And they're, like, they're, they're kind of like, what you talking about, Willis? <laughs> we, we believe in all our life, all our ancestors, all of the scripture says Moses gave that bread. He said, Moses didn't give that bread. My father gave that bread. And he begins to transition that that bread was minor. It was small compared to the bread that's before you right now. You know, when he's talking to the Samaritan woman and he's talking about this well, he says, this well is minor. And she's like, are you, who are you? Are you greater than our father, Jacob? Yeah, <laughs> he is. That's what he's saying. But he says, if, if you knew who you were talking to, you would ask me for a drink and I would give you a drink and a well would spring up to you in everlasting life and you would never thirst again. You see how he takes the physical and he moves it to the heavenly. He takes the minor and moves it to the majors. And, and we, have to, we have to press in and we have to listen carefully and we have to, to make those transitions as accurately as we possibly can. So with that in mind, let's open this study up to prayer and we'll look at John 1. Dear Lord, I just thank you for these gentlemen. I thank you for the technology and opportunity that, that has been set in place that we can do what we're doing this morning. And Lord, we give this study to you. We give this book to you. And we ask you, Lord, not only to open our eyes and our ears and our heart, we ask you that you would use what you do in us and that you would take it out in the streets. I think about that Samaritan woman, what you did in the, at the well with her. She went to her town and it turned it upside down. And so, Lord, I ask you, Lord, as we study your word, as we look at your book, as we look at this book of John, that you do what only you can do, that, that you bring us in close and you explain it all to us, that you, that you take us to the deeper meaning of what it is that you have for us, Lord. And so, Lord, let us not be hard-hearted. Let us not be prideful. Let us not be one that says we've never been a slave to anything. Because, Lord, we are a slave to things. We are bound to things. Our mind is dull. Our heart is hard in certain ways. Our eyes cannot see the truth in some ways, and our ears cannot hear what you're really calling us to sometimes. And so, Lord... I ask you that you break all of that down, that you tender our heart and make it pliable and teachable so that we can receive your truths and that we can know the freedom that your word brings to us, the bondage that it breaks. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So... John 1, or let's, let's do something different instead of that. Let's go ahead and go to Genesis 1 for a second and read the first five verses. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of of the water. So let's just think about that for a second. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, but, but get to verse two. Think about this, that the earth, all that there was, was with, was without form and void. Where were you before Christ? Were you to some degree without form and void and lacking purpose? 
And it says, and darkness was over the face of the deep. Were you in darkness? And the spirit of God was hovering over the face of the earth. And in verse three, he says, and God said this, let there be light. Was there a moment, a time and a place in your life where God said, he just came in and said, let there be light. And he just took authority over your situation and begin to mercifully do the most loving thing anyone could ever do and just open your eyes to who he is. Did he come into the darkness of your world and say, let there be light? And he says, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. When he called you, did he separate, set you apart for his own glory? And um, it said in verse five, God called the light day and the darkness he called night. And there was evening and morning the first day. So let's let's go back to John one. Uh, John one. And we see when John decided to open his gospel, he he decided to start it with in the beginning was the word and the word was with God. And the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him. And without him was not anything made that was made. I think you could just camp on that for a while. You know, not anything that was made was made without going through him. We, 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 we derive our existence, our being, the breath that we have this morning, the heartbeat that we have this morning. There's nothing that God doesn't sustain. There's, we, we didn't self-exist ourselves. God was the supreme cause. He caused everything that is to, be, to come and exist. And he spoke it all into existence without him was not anything made that was made. And I'll finish up these five verses here. It says, in him was life. And the life was light. So two key words that he uses through John, eternal life is a big word that he uses. But, but I, um, one of the statements that in, in, um, in John 8, 12, he makes it clear. He says, I am the light of the world. But what I've heard is that light usually speaks in, in, in co coherence with truth and sight that, that we don't see without light. If you remember when they were going to um, raise Lazarus, um, they, they, um, Jesus makes this statement. He says there's only 12 hours a day of the light and, and the world can only see because of the light. But, 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 but he said, you know, there's, there's light in me. And, and, and what I always like to say about that text, what I clued from it is, is Jesus was the founder of night vision. You know, the practicality was they don't have to worry about going from point A to C, you know, or B um, um, and people persecuting because Jesus is basically saying, we're just going to walk through at night. You're going to follow me. I know the way in the dark. I don't need no, no, I am the light of the world. I don't need. And so, so. We were talking about light dispelling darkness, and that's truth. God's truth dispels the darkness, the lies. The devil is the father of lies, and God is the father of truth. Um, and when the devil deceives us and we are blinded, God is the one that opens our eyes. As we did in John 9, we saw a man that was born blind. He, uh, he opened his eyes. Uh, and, and we've talked about how we all were born spiritually blind and we need God to open our eyes. So we see this happening. And, um, and I, 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 but, but here, the, but this life and this light, you know, what happened when you were born again, when God, when God's presence came and lived in you, he, he, he spoke light and you could see and you saw him for what he was, but then he put his life in you. And it says the same power that rose Jesus from dead lives in you and you became a new creation. And when that life came in you, you were different. The, the, the core of who you are, you, you were changed and everything about you changed. And some of you, your cases, they said, He's different. 
you know, if we look back at the blind man, the neighbors was like, it just looks like him. And he's like, no, it's me. But he had to he had to make that statement because he was so different on the inside because he he once was dead, but now he's alive. He once only understood earthly things, but now he has a hope in heaven. And that changed. And so I'll pause there. Um, what what we want to do and, um, you know, we kind of let's see where we at. We got some teaching. Um, what I want to do is just overview John 1 a little bit this morning, and we'll kind of navigate through what we can. But there's basically three parts in John 1. It's going to introduce Jesus in four different ways. It's going to introduce John the Baptist in two different ways. And then the last little section is going to introduce five of the disciples and how they came to, to walk with Christ. So um, at this point, anybody have anything to say? on what we've done so far in the first five verses of John are just the overall picture of the book. I think everybody might be muted. So y'all have to jump off of mute. Hey Dennis. Um, can you hear me? Yeah. Yeah. There. Yeah. I was, I was thinking about the, um, you know, the beginnings of each gospel and how, how unique the gospel of John is. I think, you know, Matthew starts um, with the uh, genealogy going back to Abraham. Um, Mark starts with John the Baptist and the beginning of the paving of the way for the Lord. And then Luke starts with um, uh, the birth story of Christ and how, you know, his, his birth came about. Uh, but John goes all the way back to the beginning. And, um, and, and you know, it, it leads the believer, you know, uh, to understand that before the foundations of the earth, Christ was there. And, um, and so it's, it's unique how each of the gospels start a different way, but I really love the way that John one starts. And I'm, and I'm glad you, you went to Genesis because it, it just reminds you of that in the beginning, God. And then, uh, and, and then he starts his gospel off like that. So that was just something that kind of caught, caught my ear. Uh, you know, how the gospel starts to unfold. Yeah. Anybody else? Yes, no. So I'm gonna jump on to the next. All right, let's do it. Um, so John John 1 6. Um, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light. So here's that word light again. Um, and that's, you know, of course, referring to Jesus, the word, the life, all that, um, that that all might believe through him. So so if you take all that in, in, in context, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. So this is I'm trying to think how to say this. So in the New Testament, under the new covenant, this is the it, I want to say this right way, but but this is the first witness messenger. It, like we did the banquet a couple weeks ago in Matthew 22 or last week. This is the first person inviting people to come to the banquet, you know, in a certain sense. I mean, we could say that the Old Testament prophets were doing that, but, but it's getting real. It's getting close. I mean, this is the first reality of the banquet is ready. It's coming. Go send the invitation out. And you, so you see this. He came in witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. And so other, other places it says preparing a straight and narrow way for the Lord. And then in verse eight, he says, this is key. Um, and we'll see John is scattered out through this book. So we'll have to kind of remember these concepts and try to put them all together to, to, to fully know John and what the word says about him. But in verse eight, he says he was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. One of my favorite texts is in John 3 30. They got some baptism disputes going on and um and disciples come and say, hey, Jesus's crew is baptizing more than us. What you going to do about it? And John is basically like, look, I'm just the best man. This this is about the wedding and he's the groom. It's all about him. This ain't my day. This is his day. And and what so happens in our faith, in our religious walk and, and in churches is we tend to, at times, we want 
we we get so lost in Jesus sometimes that we start taking his his credit. And 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 John, which was was the first witness of the banquet. I mean, like kind of if you look at it, if if I'm if I'm right on that. And the most, and, and John had the the greatest privilege to be the first person to put the to, to give the royal decree invitation of the banquet between the son and his bride, the church. That's a privilege, and and he could have get lost up in that. But John, we see, didn't get lost lost in it. He he knew his place. I am the best man. I'm a servant of this wedding. I'm just trying to bring it together. It's all about the groom. It's all about the father. It's all about the bride. It's not about me. And John does such a great job. But here in John's text, he says he was not the light, but he came bear witness to the light. If we build the foundation of what John teaches us, we realize that when we give the invitation in our day, when we compel them to come in in our day, we're not the light. We're a witness to the light. You know, and, 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 and that's a good word for us this morning. That's something to, to penetrate our hearts and affect us. That, that's a difference between a sandy foundation and a firm foundation. He was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. Sometimes we're so worried about being the light, we're not bearing witness to, the, to be the light. I remember Mike used to talk about how when he told the people not to, um, not to uh, tell anybody about him, they couldn't keep their mouth closed, but now that he's like, go tell the whole world, we can't seem to open our mouth at times. We're, 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 we're kind of bound by that. And um, so just do one more little passage here. So we've, we've been introduced to Jesus. We've got a little hint about John the Baptist and in nine, it's going to get back to Jesus. And it says the true light, which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world. And the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. I ask you this morning, I, you know, I'll just kind of, um, I'll kind of pause at that verse there. How does that settle on your heart? Like, what, what are your first thoughts when you, when you read that? And it says, he was in the world, meaning Jesus was in the world, and the world was made through him, which we had said in the first part there, yet the world did not know him. As you read these stories through the book of John, you will see people that Jesus is right there, the author and finisher of our faith, the one that spoke it all in existence, everything was created here, is right there in the flesh. He's come in the world and he's talking to them. And some of them are so hard-hearted, so blind, so deaf that they cannot navigate that, that, that gap that, you know, that, that they choose hard-hearted versus humbly coming before him and, 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 and being broken so that they can be mended together. So, so what's your thoughts right there about the world did not know him. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. What, what is that? How does that impact you? What does that stir up in you this morning? To me, it emphasizes that we are born blind and that uh, we are of the world when we're born and the world is all that concerns us. So we have to see the light at some time in our life. Good. Anybody else? Yeah, I think um, like it makes you think about man's perception of God or in the Jewish time, their perception of the Messiah and just how wrong it is. I think if, if anybody, if any man were to say, well, if God came and visited the earth, what would he be like? And, you know, they, they would say he'd be a mighty king, a ruler, um, all powerful. Um, kind of superhuman uh, powers and abilities. Um, and he came as humble, uh, as not even having a, a place to be born and didn't even have a place to lay his head. And this is just contrary. Man, man would have never wrote the story like this. Man would have never crafted a story where the creator of all of the universe, the heavens and the earth, uh, came in such a humble way. 
I, I navigate it. You make me think about something. I navigate it through those comments um, where they would, you know, you'll see this um, throughout John. Does anything good come from Nazareth? No prophet has ever rose from Galilee and, and navigating the prophecies and the, um, and the visions and, and all that through Herod and the killing of the sons and all that. Um, it's all written there. If they had known the Bible, like they should have known, they would, they, they would have known where he, where he, where he came from. Anybody else? Yeah. The only thing I was going to share as you were talking about that, he came to his own and his own did not receive him. That's still true today. You know, it's not like technology has made that better. It's one thing to be, you know, like, like Jeff said, um, expecting something and, and your expectations not being met. That's one thing. But even today, um, his own still does not receive him. And I, and I believe his own being the, the Jewish people, um, his own did not receive him. Uh, so even technology doesn't doesn't change that. I think in, in the information age that we live in today, that um, one could build a pretty good case that he is the Messiah. Um, but it just shows you that it's a it's a heart condition. You know, I, I think Mr. Lane said we're, we're born blind. Uh, we're born spiritually blind, spiritually deaf. We're born as um, a dead man. And until the Holy Spirit calls us to awaken us we can't see that so well and and if you go back to the first of the text when it says he was in the beginning and all things were made through him and without him nothing was made so we are all you know his you know when it says he came to his 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 own we're all his he owns everything and 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 like when you say that with the jews i mean we we see that too, you know, and, and like when I, I forget where it is in Romans nine through 11, but it says that the Jews are under a, a partial hardening, I think is the word it uses. Um, and they're definitely hard to the gospel and they're definitely hardened to Christ more than all the other nations, you know, at this point in time, but, but it's, it's a hardening going on. Sin hardens us. The deception of the devil hardens us. The fact that Jesus didn't come through the tradition that the Jews were thinking hardens them. But everybody has a, a, the forces to harden them to create this story where he came and his people didn't know him. And that's, that's sort of the enemy. It's how hard is our heart. And I've been doing a study on the hard heart and the tender heart. But I think there ought to be another type of heart that transitions from the heart to, and it's a broken heart. And, and, and I've been really studying that. And I, I'll send a song out after this, um, that, that I just happened to throw the music on this morning. And, and as I was kind of praying a little bit for the study and it talked about so, something, you know, you've heard the saying, something's got to give in this song. It says, something's got to break. And I believe we're in a time in church history that we've strayed far enough from God that we're in great danger, that, that we have hard heartened hearts in our society in such a way that something's got to give, something's got to break. And as I listen to the song this morning, I just begin to hit my knees and weep and say, God, something's got to break. Something in our, in our culture, in our spirit, in our hearts, in our society, something's got to break. Because without brokenness, we can't go from a hard heart to a tender heart. And we can lie and try to deceive ourselves and say our hearts are not hard. But if we're honest with Scripture, our hearts are hot hard. And we are not free. We are bound by hard hearts that produce dull minds, blind eyes, and deaf ears. And something's got to break. And, 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 and that brokenness comes from the move of the Holy Ghost, that that the Spirit of God comes and dwells with His people, and He surrounds them and He breaks them, and 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 we can come to Christ like Nicodemus, and we're still thinking with our earthly mind, and we're like, how can this be? What is this born again stuff? But when the Holy Spirit shows up, 
You know what it's all about. No one needs to explain it to you. No one needs to tell you about it because it's a reality. And your heart is being, your hard heart is, your cold heart is being melted. And it's made pliable. And repentance just flows out of you. You begin to see all the things that have kept you from God. And you just, you just let it, let it go. And you become free. You become cleansed and washed with his word. So verse 12, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory and the glory of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. And so we'll stop there. This is just more definition. The good news, I'm trying to think of what I'd wrote on on there somewhere, but the good news about this grace and truth is that, you know, what was the law? The law was all these requirements that that showed us, you know, the law was a standard that when we looked inwardly, we could we couldn't find within ourselves the ability to live up that standard. We knew God was right to set that standard. We knew it revealed who he was and who he wants us to be, but we couldn't find. But when grace and truth came along, we was talking about earlier, the life and the light, the light opens our eyes to see the truth, but the life gives us the power to live out the truth. And so one of the things about grace and truth, the only son from the father, full of grace and truth, he brought that to us. He gave that. That's the good news of the gospel. Um, and then we, we jump, y'all jump in if you need, if, if you got something, anybody real quick, but we moved in, in verse 15, it's going to move to John again, his, his second. So just real quick, in 15, John bore witness about him and cried out. This was he of whom I said, he who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. Now, I've never read that that slowly and closely, but when we get to John 8, um, there's, and he's going to say this again later, John the Baptist, in part of his testimony, but when we get to John 8, he says, he gives the, uh, let me see if I can find it, it's, um, he gives the ultimate, so there's seven I am statements, but R.C. Sproul Sproles points out in, in, in John 8, there's actually eight I am statement. And it's where he says, before Abraham was, I am. So if you remember in the Old Testament, when, when, when Moses was asking him, you know, what's your name? And he said, tell him I am sent you. Um, and so when he says that, that sets them off in John 8. They're like, oh my gosh, we don't need to hear no more, you know, stone this rascal. But 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 um but and you hear you hear people say too like when did jesus ever say he was god they they knew exactly what he was saying there and right. they tried to kill him right and so if you look carefully at this text here what what john because because they're because they're saying you know they're asking that question you know who do you say you are and then you can't say you're god and all that and and but one of the arguments that they say it and th- this is a couple different cases but one of the, they say Abraham, you're how do they? I forget exactly. You're not even 50 years old or something like that, and you're saying you've seen Abraham, and you know, and Abraham's been dead for so long. And then the same thing with David, you know, in in Acts about his he wouldn't see corruption and all that. So you got those texts that they're wrestling with that. But John is actually addressing that here. He says, "He who comes after me, let's just put Christ in the deal. When Christ comes after me." He ranks before me, and he gives a reason why he ranks before him, because he was before him. So John is, is, is hinting to the fact that this one that's coming has always existed already, which is what we're reading in the first part of the text. So in verse 16, for from the fullness we have all received grace upon grace, for the law was given through Moses, and grace and truth came through Jesus Christ, no one has ever seen God, the only God, uh, 
the only God who is the father's side. He has made known. I don't think this is the clearest text on this issue, but in general terms, it's worth taking a couple things here is that, is that the grace and truth that Christ is bringing or grace upon grace is the way it's saying in 16 and this fullness of grace upon grace is better than the law that was given through, through Moses. And that the whole purpose of it all is to make the father known um, in the last part. So this part up to here, these first 18 verses, um, what do they call that? The, what do they call it, Jeff? The pre preamble or the, what do they call that? The, the prologue, the prologue. So, you know, so a lot of people look at this as sort of a, like on a map, a um, legend as, as a kind of introduction of some of the nuggets we're going to unpack. And so it's helpful to remember these 18 verses and everything that you see and do throughout the book of John that you sort of see it connected to this. And so all these concepts, um, this is sort of, am I saying that right, Jeff, as the way you understand it, a summary um, to that? You're muted, Jeff, if you're trying to say anything, but I, I was just asking you from your, 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 your pastor and the way he, he teaches, if, if I was saying that right, as far as the, the weightiness of the first 18 verses. Hey, sorry, I got distracted with the question about chocolate milk. I'm sorry, Dennis. <laughs> All I was asking you is um, to, to those first 18 verses of the way you see those prologue and how it fits with the, the whole book. Oh, the, the weightiness, you mean? Like the yeah. the, the intro? Mm -hmm. Sorry, I didn't understand the question. <laughs> well, that's all right. If you if you, you got the kids going there. Um, anybody else on the intro there, the prologue? Yes, no. Somebody's got to have something. All right. Well, where are we at with time? 15 minutes. Um, so let's just read some of this about John the Baptist. I, I would like to cover a little bit of, more about John the Baptist and Elijah and some different things at some point. Um, so we may send that out, but let's, let's see what, what we, what we glean from these, um, these verses here in verse 19, it says, this is the testimony of John. When the Jews sent the priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? He confessed, they did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, what then are, what then are you Elijah? He said, I'm not, which he was um, just, you know, spoiler alert. He said, I am not. Are you a prophet? He answered, no. So they said to him, who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? He said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. So that's a prophecy of John being a forerunner for Christ that is fulfilled, and he's kind of communicating that. But what happens, and, and I have some text. I don't, I don't know if I have it organized to whip it out real quick. You may have to do that another time, but Jesus, one place is Matthew 16. Jesus said, who do the people say that I am? So what this is contextually given us an idea of the audience of the day is that they were, they had an eager expectation that the Messiah was drawing near. Like there's a lot of people today have an eager expectation um, that, that Christ is fixing a return, you know, in some sense, they, they, they're seeing a millennial reign of a thousand years and they see 4,000 years in the old Testament and 2000 years in the new Testament. And, um, Jesus was about 30. So they're seeing, you know, 2030 is, is, is right on the money. 6,000 years completed. We're going, you know, to, a, you know, people have an expectation. They're looking for Christ. They see the cultural, you know, struggling and they, they feel like they see prophecies, so in the same being fulfilled, so in the same way, there was some eagerness waiting for, like as we get in a minute and we start looking at the calling of the disciples, 
you see that also because they're like, we found the one that the prophets were writing about. So there's an expectation here that um, that that Christ is coming and, and they frame it up again and again at different places of scripture in this way. It's either a prophet, Elijah or the Messiah. And the Elijah prophet idea was a, was kind of the forerunner, which is what John is, which is what Jesus gives elsewhere further explanation. He says, if you're willing to accept it, he's, you know, Elijah or the one that would come. So that's that's Jesus's own words. Why, why I said what I said earlier. But but they're trying to figure out who this Jesus is. And that's what's cool about this text and what it's written is it keeps drawing us back to who is Jesus. You know, we can say, who are they? What are their struggles to realize and who is Jesus? But who ultimately is Jesus? When he says, truly, truly, what is he saying there about himself? When he says, I am, what is he saying there about himself? Because sometimes he's speaking strong spiritual um, language, and it's hard for us to process it because we're earthly. And, and just like the problem of Nicodemus, how can this be? Sometimes that's what we what we bring to the table of the statements Jesus say, says, and we have to come humbly and say, Lord, I don't understand this. Again and again, we would see the disciples come and say, I don't understand these parables. Explain it to us. And we have to be like that. We have to come to these hard words or these, these lofty heavenly words that Jesus says and says, what does this mean? You know, this is kind of, you know, it's just a saying that it comes in my mind a lot for practicality is what does this have to do with the price of tea in China? You know, sometimes we have to ask that in our heart in reverence with the Lord, help me to understand the weightiness of what you're saying. And so, so here he's saying, John is, they're asking that they want to know who is John, what's going on here. This is out of ordinary. This, you know, they were like OCD. They were, they were legalists, but they were OCD and anything out of tra tradition set a red flag and they felt like they had to deal with it aggressively and right now. And so John, the Baptist, the way Jesus sets the scene, he says, what did you go out in the wilderness to see? What did you go out in the wilderness to see? He does it three times. What did you go out in the wilderness to see? And so what we're talking about when we're talking about John is we're talking about this movement of people leaving the city to go out in the wilderness to see something. And the religious leaders are like, where are they going? What they're doing? Well, somebody's preaching out there and they're like, we got to get to the bottom of this. And so they're asking these questions. Who are you? They'll later ask those questions of Jesus. Who are you? But those are the questions that says, what's going on here? What is the meaning of all this? And he's, so, so here he's giving them no, no. And so they said to him in verse 22, or, 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 so they said to him, who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. Why do, what do you say about yourself? He said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness, make a straight way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. In 24, it says, now they had been sent from the Pharisees. They asked him, then why are you baptism? This is all questions. These are all reasonable questions in their day and time. They, they would have been asking. This is different. This is new. Why are we doing this? You know, where we've been visiting at church. The pastor, one thing I like about him, he's like, he'll just get up often and he'll say, we're going to do things different this morning. <laughs> you know? And he'll just do something different. But, but, it, but, it, but it, it gets you engaged. Why are we doing things different? And what's so cool and exciting about the book of John is, as you're reading these texts is when Christ is doing something different, it's for a great reason. I mean, he's coming to the people and he's changing the way they're doing things for a great reason. Just give you a for instance real quick. When we get to, to, to John 5, they get so worked up because he heals a man on the, um, on the Sabbath. But later on, he's going to talk about, well, you circumcise on the Sabbath. And what he's basically putting together is you circumcise on the eighth day and give this guy, his, this child, his name and his value. But guess what I did? 
I gave this child his name and his value in a greater way by healing him on the Sabbath than anything you're doing with the circumcision on the Sabbath. And he just, he's making it bigger and weightier. So when Christ is changing tradition, it's all about life. It's all about light. It's all about open someone's eyes. It's all, it, one of the things he said is he said, are you condemning me because I, you're going to do circumcision on Sunday on the Sabbath, but I made a whole man whole and you're condemning me. You know, and what he's saying there is making a whole man whole is better than giving him value at a little bitty child of his name and his weightiness and his place in genealogy. He said, I'm giving him a place in the father's house. You know, it's just bigger. And we have to grasp that we're moving from earthly to heavenly. We're fulfilling foreshadows and, and we're making them, you know, there was promises and we're fulfilling some of those things. And so. Now they, in verse 25, they asked him, then why are you baptizing if you are neither the Christ nor Elijah nor the prophet? Those were the only people that would have authority in their, in their perspective. And 26, John answered them, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know. Even he who comes after me, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie, these things took place in Bethany across the Jordan where John was baptized. So, you know, the key, one of the keys here he's laying out and he's going to more fully unpack this, you know, he's saying, I'm just baptizing to introduce Christ, but he's going to come and do a much greater baptism. Um, I know we run out of time, but let's let's finish up to the disciples. I'll just briefly run this last text and let you have the final thoughts. It says, because because this is the we, we've seen John twice. We've seen Jesus introduced three times. And this is the fourth time we're going to get some information about Jesus. And it says the next day he saw Jesus coming towards him and said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. That's just one we need to put in our spiritual pipe and smoke it often is that that Jesus is the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. You know, what atoned for sins was the sacrifice of a lamb. And those lambs were inferior to the perfect, spotless, above reproach, blemish free lamb of Jesus Christ in his perfection. He was the Lamb of God. Um I'd like to, in this study, go back to Abraham in, in Genesis 22 and show some of the, um, the parallels there of, of where God provides a, a sacrifice and, and what all is happening in that. But this statement is one worth remembering or re memorizing. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. That what Christ did on the cross being sacrificed as a lamb is what actually pays and takes away our sins. Um, in verse 30, this is he whom I said, after me, this is that statement I pointed out earlier, after me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose, I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel like this would have been a good answer a little bit verse few verses four when they asked why are you baptizing he's given this answer here I myself didn't know him but for this purpose I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel and John bore witness I saw the spirit did um, descend from him like a, a dove and it remained on him I myself did not know him but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, he on whom you see the spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptized with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and have bored witness that this is the son of God. Now, real quickly, this is about as complicated, you know, in grammar way. Like this is where the Bible teaches us how to make something simple, sort of complicated and not just to come out plainly. 
but that's why it does what it does. Because if you're going to be a prideful, arrogant, stubborn, hard-headed person, you're not going to see the death of the richness of the truth of the word of God. But what John is basically saying here in all of this, as we look at the first 34 verses of what it said about John, is he's saying that someone told him to go baptize. And he said, and when you're baptized, and there's going to be one that the Spirit's going to descend on him and stay on him. And when you see that, that's the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. And your whole purpose is to point to him. And John lived that out as good as anyone could live it out. And that, in a way, is our calling as an ambassador for Christ, as a witness for Christ, is to, to, to let God reveal who he is to us and then to point what he's, we've been revealed to others. And, and, you know, so in the first disciples, if you read, just finishing up, it says next day, Again, John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold the Lamb of God. And then it says the two disciples heard him and saw this and followed Jesus. Now, this is, I, I, they've got a gospel of John, and I watched this where they just go through the text and they act it out. And that was so visually shocking to me, and I don't know if I'd catch it just reading but imagine John's got these disciples following him and he's baptizing. And one day Jesus walks by and he says, here's the lamb of God. And two of his disciples just leave him and say, see you, John. And I mean, what a better thing. And that's what John's whole message was, is don't, don't follow me, follow him. But I'd have never caught that. I don't think if I'd have watched that video, but that's what this is saying right here is that disciples that have been following, following John, because they wanted to be in right step with God and, and be in his will and to know what he had for them next, that, that, that all of a sudden this baptism starts happening. And through the baptism, Christ is revealed as the Lamb of God. And when John says, that's the one I saw the Spirit descend, his disciples say, all right, bro, this is what we were trying to get at. See you. Have a nice life, you know. I just think that's that's awesome. So anyway, I'm gonna shut up. I know we're out of time. Final thoughts. I hadn't yeah. heard Paul or Keith or go ahead, Miss Wayne. Go ahead if you got something that's really hit me hard is uh, uh, we also learned something about the Jewish people when we think about their state of mind during Jesus' time is that uh, they had developed their own idea of what the Messiah would be, a freeing king. Um, and it reminds us not to do the same thing as the Israelites did, but to preach all that Jesus is, not just a savior of, from sin, but a giver of life. And really, when we talk about Jesus to someone new, we need to say, not only is he going to change your life, but he's going to grow you in your freedom to be with God in the future and in heaven. We have to paint a whole picture of Christ not just one aspect that somebody's looking for. Yeah. When Christ touches your heart and, and takes you away from your sadness, break, touches your broken heart, he's going to do more than just relieve you from sins. He's going to give you life. And all that that can mean, whatever that means to you, you need to, we need to preach Christ in a way that he is more than just somebody that died for you. He is someone that lives for you. Yeah. What you think, Keith? Yeah, it just makes me think, you know, it was uh, reading back, you know, some of the people back in that town thought, you know, they related flesh to evil and couldn't believe that Christ would be the Messiah being there in flesh and and understanding that. And it just makes me think of how I try to um, reach and talk to some in-laws that I'm concerned with and trying to let them know about Jesus and just don't trust me, just trust him and spend time with him and and believe in him and uh it's uh it, it it's a task and this is going to be a great study to help me uh, make some good concrete processes thoughts so forth yeah what you think mike paul 
I just think it's kind of interesting that uh, Andrew and whoever the other disciple was originally, they were the whole time they had been, they were seeking, you know, they either just met John in the wilderness or, or heard somebody told them about him or, or maybe the spirit was leading them, but they were, they were seeking and, and looking for and hoping and waiting for the Messiah. And they were just, you know, the Lord granted him to be in the right place at the right time to, uh, you know, Jesus walks, you know, Jesus walks, walks right past him. And John just, you know, kind of says, behold, the Lamb of God. So, but I think it's important that they were, they were searching and seeking, you know, something that the Spirit was leading their heart to be um, yearning for him, looking for him. Um, hoping for him yeah what you think mr mike uh not too much to add um you know as as you were talking about john the baptist i was i was looking back in luke where zacharias you know he was a he was a priest you know so and i'm just i'm just trying to think how prevalent was was the people's knowledge of who john was you know we know that he's out in the wilderness you know, eating locusts and doing, he's just a crazy man, right? I mean, in their eyes, but how, how well was he known in the community, you know, being that his dad was the, one of the priests, you know, and, and just the story that took place there. And, and, um, you know, even whenever he said before, um, you know, Jesus was before me. I mean, did that, did that carry any weight with them, you know, because they would have known, that that John was born before uh, Jesus, not by much. I mean, just a few months, whatever the case was. But uh, you know, I'm just thinking, like, what what would what would their knowledge base be of this quote unquote wild man that they're out seeing? And um, so I, I was just digging into that a little bit. It's it's pretty interesting. And then I guess the last thing is when he said, um, "Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world." And then, this, this could probably be a little bit of a deep study, but um, I've been, and I'm assuming everyone's Bible says this, but it doesn't say sins. It says sin. You know, he takes away the sin of the world, you know, and, and I heard someone describe that one time that um, you can, you can, uh, another grammar lesson, if you will, you know, sin can be, um, our sins should be seen as a verb, right? As actions, but sin um, also can be seen as a noun and a, and a singular term and, and a, a noun is a person, place, thing, or, or state of being, if you will, you know? So, uh, when he takes away the sin of the world, I believe that it's talking about, uh, our position of being dead to made alive, a, a sin of unbelief that that's the sin that, that Jesus can take away. Um, and it, and it changes who we are. It changes our position with the father. Um, will we continue to sin with the verb? Absolutely. But when, when he changes, when he takes away the sin, the sin of unbelief from us, it changes our position of who we are in Christ and our relationship to him. So it's kind of a, kind of a deep thought, but, um, it, it makes me look at every time I hear that word, you know, it takes away the sin of the world. I, I really focus on, it doesn't say sins. It says sin. And I think that sin is the sin of unbelief that he can take away. That's good, man. Um, well, everybody, good study. Well, just a quick comment on that. Uh, the sin of the world. Um, the world is sin to God. God cursed the world. So he wants people to realize that this world we're living in down here is not what we're hoping for. When we were leave from this world, we're looking forward to life. Yeah. Well, um, Mike, you want to close something, this? Prayer? Something's always been curious to me is, and it never talks about that. Um, did John recognize Jesus? You know, he was born just a little bit before him, but they didn't live in the same area. And then Jesus went to Egypt for however long until Herod died. And I guess they, you know, you can figure out through secular history how long Herod lived after Jesus was born before they came back. Uh, well, you never know, you know, there's never really anything here that, that 
shows that John really recognized or knew Jesus as his cousin, or they might have had so many cousins all spread out that, you know, didn't really have any association with them early on in their life anyway. But always kind of curious about that. Like when Jesus walked by, you know, before the dove landed on him, did, did John recognize him as being his cousin, you know, that he hadn't seen in years or something? I don't really know. Yeah. They leave some things unknown there. We got to, Mike, you want to close this in prayer? Oh, we just thank you for this day, Lord. Thank you for just um, allowing us just to dive into your word, Lord. Sometimes just getting back to the, the basics, the foundational truths that, that you've shared with us, Lord, are just so uh, crucial um, uh, to the foundation of who we are, Lord. And I just thank you for this day. I thank you for Dennis just preparing and um, sharing with us today. We just pray that um, uh, you would just continue to work in our lives as we as we navigate through the book of John, just understanding who you are and who we are in you, Lord. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Yeah. And I'll, I'll probably um, send out this week, midweek, just a little study of some of those texts to kind of nav navigate through some of this Elijah, John the Baptist stuff, because it's a it's a pretty interesting story that that's not kind of put all together in one little one little chapter um but just something fun for you guys to look through this week if Dennis, if if in your if in your studies uh you come a, come away with a, or maybe you already know what the what the uh jewish definition of uh messiah